Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast with Tony Maradero. 55 seconds left in the penalty, a minute and 27 seconds left in regulation time. Boston 4, Montreal 3. Lafleur coming out rather gingerly on the right side. He gives it into Lemaire, back to Lafleur. Oh! The sickest Montreal Canadiens podcast. You're in the ball! Sports entertainment like no other. Rejoint, on lui fait perdre la rondelle, une passe devant. Et c'est la bonne You found the dogs! John, you found the dogs! He found the dogs! And all together, they worked a young team to the top. And now, a 24th Stanley Cup banner will hang from the rafters of the famous forum in Montreal. The Canadians win the Stanley Cup. Brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La TV. Embrace your true nature. And Playground. Your premier gaming destination. It's going to be sick. Marinero, the sick podcast on this Monday, November 20th. It is three minutes past 10 p.m. Eastern. Every show is a pleasure, a privilege, and an honor. Some, I'm not going to lie to you, a little bit more than others. It's always a treat talking with this guy because, of course, he is a hockey encyclopedia. You know that because you've heard him on the air for many, many, many years. As a matter of fact, a couple of decades. Once upon a time, he used to do color on Montreal radio for Montreal Canadiens hockey games. And ever since then, you've seen him here, there, and everywhere. Of course, he was also behind an NHL bench as a head coach and as an assistant coach as well. And as an assistant coach, he won two Stanley Cups, working under the best to ever coach the game. Of course, I'm talking about the great Scotty Bowman. Joining me right now is Pierre Maguire. Pierre, good evening. It's great to talk to you, Tony. Congratulations on all of your success. It's fantastic. Thank you, Pierre. I very much appreciate that. This is the second time that you and I are doing it on the Sick Podcast. We had a couple of conversations, of course, in another lifetime on AM radio in Montreal. But, Pierre, the big news, for those who didn't hear it by now, but I think they did, is a couple of weeks ago, Pierre Maguire also became a part of the Sick Media family. You and Jimmy Murphy are co-hosting a podcast called the eye test. Yeah, it's been fantastic so far. Um, Jimmy's been tremendous to work with, Tony. I really like the format. I like the fact that we can bring the folklore of the National Hockey League and hockey in general, whether it be men's games, women's games, great stories that have happened over the course of NHL time or college time or major junior time. Um, and it's been just phenomenal to start so far. And Really grateful. Can't believe the feedback from a lot of members of the National Hockey League community, the college hockey community, the women's hockey community. It's been it's really been a pleasure. And I liked how you introed it. Every show is a privilege and an honor. And uh, we just want to make it fun for the listeners and the viewers. Fantastic stuff, Pierre. And of course, everyone could watch it on YouTube, on Facebook, on Twitter. They have their own Twitter handle. They have their own YouTube channel, of course. And you can also listen to it on all social media platforms. I never knew that you and Jimmy Murphy were so close. You know what? It started a long time ago. Now, full disclosure, Tony, people have to know how you got your start. You you would call up our radio show at, at CJD, and, and you were such a lucid caller, and you made such, I think, vibrant and strong and passionate points that 
at one point, Mitch Melnick called me and said, what about this guy? I said, I think he could do a great job on the media side. And uh, eventually you got your chance. And uh, when I was living in Montreal, Jimmy had just started his show uh, at uh, the team TSN in Montreal. And, and I had heard it a few times. And we moved to Boston um, after things didn't work out great for me in Ottawa. And uh, I've had a chance to read a lot of Jimmy's work and watch Jimmy work. And I really respect the way he handles himself as a professional. Well, things come full circle. And, uh, you know, maybe hopefully one day Melnick could be part of our team as well. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> you never know. You never, you know. never know. Pierre, uh, there's so much to talk when it comes to the Montreal Canadiens. Yep. Everyone knows they're in a rebuild. They made it loud and clear. They said it without saying it, and sometimes they actually did say it. You heard it from Jeff Molson, who didn't deny it. You heard it from Jeff Gordon. You heard it from Kent Hughes. You heard it from Marty St. Louis. And people accepted it, Pierre. There were doubts that Montreal Canadiens fans would accept the rebuild. This is an organization that has won 24 Stanley Cups. But I think a lot of people looked at it and said, hold on a second here. This organization hasn't won a cup since 1993. There are people under 30 years of age who never saw this organization win a Stanley Cup. So those people said, hey, you know what? They've been doing it pretty much the same way for the last 29 years, and it hasn't worked. I'm all for the rebuild. So they accepted it. Having said that, Pierre, this is supposed to be year three of the rebuild, where supposedly they're supposed to be in phase two, where they've, they're still in the rebuild, but they've turned the corner. The challenge is, is 18 games in, they have three points less than they did a year ago. When you're on a rebuild, there's supposed to be a progression, Pierre, even in the standings, maybe not a lot, slowly but surely. Is it cause for concern that 18 games in, they're three points below where they were a year before? You know, it's a fair question, Tony. I think most teams, most managers in the National Hockey League give their team 15 games to decide, okay, is the composition of our team good enough? Well, they're three games past the 15-game mark, as you correctly say, at 18. They have not made the structural improvements that you want to see as a managerial team or a coaching staff or, or even as a fan base. But I will say there's one caveat to all this. The injury situation for this team wasn't pleasant last year, and it really hasn't been pleasant this year. So I think they get a little bit of a pass on that. I think the Kirby Dock injury, Tony, really set them back significantly. Um, and obviously you had some other injuries on defense. Caden Gould, he didn't miss a ton of time, but missed some time. And I think they've had to overplay some people. Now they do have some chips in the game that they can use to make their team better going forward. But my concern would be why is Laval in last place in the American Hockey League? And why is the team three points less than where they were a year ago at the same time? And I will say this, I'll use one caveat, like I said, the Kirby Dock injury, I think, sets them back a little bit at the NHL level. Uh, why they're not doing better at the American Hockey League level, I don't know. If I were to respond to you and say, Pierre, no big deal, the American Hockey League is a development league. The first goal of J.F. Hull down there with that team is to develop hockey players so that they when they come up and play within the same system as they do the big team. So when they call, they get called up, the transition is easier. Would you buy that or? Oh, hundred percent. I mean, one of the biggest things when you're running an NHL team is you tell your American hockey league coach, just get me three, four players every year. And if you can do that, you're hitting home runs as an American hockey league staff. The thing that's causing me some concern though, is 
if you look at that division that they're in right now uh, in the American Hockey League, yeah, I know Toronto spends a lot of money, but if you look at the comparables that they're playing against, um, they should have a better record than what they have right now, and that's the only reason I'm a bit concerned. Uh, Utica's put a lot of their players up in the NHL in New Jersey. Uh, Syracuse has put a lot of their players up in Tampa. Uh, Rochester's put a lot of their players, especially because of injuries lately, Tony, up into Buffalo. Uh, Belleville's had to send a lot of players up to Ottawa because of injury. So if you look at the teams that they're playing against in that division, um, a lot of those teams are not nearly as strong as maybe they were a year ago. And so really that team should be a little bit more accelerated down in Laval than what we're seeing. Pierre, I want to take a look at the month that has been and what it will be for the Montreal Canadiens in terms of the schedule. The Cavalaros will bring it up here, of course, at Master Control. Let's mm -hmm. take a look at the last week that was for the Canadiens. Mm -hmm. On Sunday, they lost 5-2 at home versus Vancouver. A couple of nights later, they lose by a score of 2-1. to one. Marty St. Louis has said that for him, those two games, it's okay because he liked the way his team played. He's less okay with the last two losses, a 6-5 loss versus Vegas in Montreal and Saturday's 5-2 loss at Boston. Let's get to the Vegas loss first. Mm -hmm. Marty St. Louis said the team didn't manage the risk in that game. They gave up a goal already. At, you know, I think it was 20 or 22 seconds into the game. They took a lot of chances. My question to you is, when you're open about being in a rebuild, and there really hasn't been any repercussions in terms of losing games because we're a young team and we're in a rebuild. How do you still think of the team as a player instead of thinking for yourself? Like you're going to want to put up points. If you don't do what's best for the team, it's okay. No one expects you to make the playoffs anyway. Is there a risk of telling everyone you're in a rebuild when there are no repercussions because you're in a rebuild? Well, there will be repercussions because eventually somebody's going to get moved out to make the team better if they don't like the direction of the rebuild. Most professional hockey players like their lot in life where they are. They usually purchase a home in a city. Uh, they make tremendous friends. Uh, to be part of an original six team in Montreal is an unbelievable uh, thing to have on your resume. Uh, playing in a full building every night like you do in Montreal is really exciting. Being a member of the Montreal Canadiens is something you should be really proud of, Tony. And I think most of the players that I've known uh, in the last 34 years that I've been in the NHL or around the NHL, uh, I would say most guys really appreciate and cherish the opportunity to play in Montreal. So your question leads me to say most guys are going to do whatever it takes to win in Montreal. The problem is they don't have enough to win with consistency and, and the coaching staff knows that. So there's not a lot of room for error. And when there are errors, like there were in the Vegas game that you correctly brought up, like there were in the Boston game that you correctly brought up, that leads to cause for concern. Why are we consistently making the same errors? And now they go on the road and you know, that's tough with time zone in Anaheim day off. Then you're in San Jose, then you're in LA and that's a tough back-to-back -back San Jose and LA. Not because San Jose's strong. It's just you don't get to, you don't usually fly out and in. And I know they're both afternoon games from different cities out in the West Coast. So it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. But Tony, I think the biggest concern they have right now, there's an inconsistency factor in their game that they can't have 
as a developing group. And that's why I think they're a little bit concerned. The road trip, the upcoming road trip that you talked about, Pierre Anaheim on Wednesday night at 10 p.m. Eastern. And of course, on Friday, you're in San Jose at 3.30 p.m. Eastern. And on Saturday in L.A. at 4 p.m. Eastern, it's three games in three and a half days, travel included. That's not easy. But I want to take you to Columbus if I can. Sure. Pascal Vincent isn't happy with Johnny Hockey, and he's not happy with Patrick Liney, or he wasn't last week, and he benched them, you know, for, for greater part of, of period number three. And at the end of the game, he said, wasn't happy with their game. That's it. That's all. You got to play better. We haven't seen that in Montreal yet, where if a Nick Suzuki doesn't play a great game or a Cole Caulfield doesn't play a great game or a Sean Monaghan doesn't play a great game, mm-hmm that they're going to be benched for the last 13 or 14 minutes of period number three. You talked about repercussions. What are the risks of Marty St. Louis taking a decision like that? And my next question would be, um, should he be worried about it considering he's in a position of strength? He's Marty St. Louis. They're in a rebuild. He's not getting fired anytime soon. No, he's not getting fired anytime soon. And I like the way you phrased the question, Tony. I'll take the first part and tell you that uh, as long as you have the backing of ownership, and I believe Marty St. Louis does, and as long as you have the backing of the upper management team with Jeff Gordon and Ken Hughes, which I believe Marty St. Louis does, there are no repercussions at all for Marty St. Louis and the Montreal Canadiens. Why they haven't done it yet, I don't think they've really been in that position where they have to worry about it yet. I think most of the guys in the Montreal Canes, in fact, all of them are selling their soul to try to be a better team and a better organization. So they're following up on what they've, their mandate is, and that is to get better as a group. Have they been able to do it yet? No, but I think eventually they will. In Columbus, it's a different thing, and I can tell you this from experience. Uh, when I was a head coach of the Hartford Whalers, <clears throat> we played the Boston Bruins, and two of my better young players, Michael Nylander and Jeff Sanderson, didn't play particularly well or give the effort that I wanted them to give. And we were playing in Philadelphia the next night, and I just went up to them after the game, no yelling, no screaming. I said, you guys don't have to get on the bus. You can stay here. We're not bringing it to Philadelphia. And, and I did that for a reason. It was to create and implement organizational standards that were going to be second to none. I wanted guys to know every single night they put on a whaler uniform, they had to bring their very best effort. And what happened was we didn't win in Philadelphia, but we played a hard, smart game. The next 21 games, Tony, we had the third best record in the National Hockey League. And then we got just decimated and wiped out with injuries with our starting goalie, our defense, our our top forwards. We were wiped out with injuries. So that kind of shrunk the momentum we had off of that 21 games. I think Sanderson that year had 41 or 42 goals. Nylander eventually got traded, but he played fantastically well before he got traded. Um, but my point on all this is, is, is quite frankly, sometimes to create standards, you have to do things. And I think in Columbus, what Pascal Vincent and Mark Recchi are trying to do is implement standards that will make the Columbus Blue Jackets a very competitive team long term. Okay, I think Marty St. Louis tried to do something earlier today. But before we go there, let's go back to Saturday night's loss, which was the father's trip, by the way. The fathers were here on Thursday night. They had a chance to see the game versus Vegas. And, of course, accompanied the team to Boston and watched the game on Saturday night. The Canadians lose versus the Bruins by a score of 5-2. to two. After the game, Marty St. Louis says this in his post-game comments. Euh, les Bruins euh, étaient bons à soir. Euh, 
je trouve à soir, on... c'est pas qu'on travaille pas, mais on travaille mal. Euh... Puis j'ai trouvé qu'on était mou un peu aussi. Ça s'est reflété dans, dans, dans vos regards pour la rondelle. Oui, pas, pas mal dans tout, je te dirais. Oui, pas mal dans tout. Écoute, euh... Euh... dernièrement, on n'a pas une cédule facile euh, côté workload, puis aussi côté euh, les qualités d'équipe qu'on rencontre. Euh... Puis, tu sais, comme euh, durant la saison, tu vas pogner des, euh, des, des downs, tu sais. Mais, tu sais, moi, je te dirais, depuis le début de l'année, tu sais, je pense qu'on a, a pogné notre plus gros down. Puis, il va falloir mais, quand, qu'on reste au travail puis sortir de ça. Toutes les équipes passent au travail de ça. Puis... Euh, tu parlais des bagarres pour la pression de la rondelle, mais il y a aussi un aspect de donner la ligne bleue ou être trop... Euh, ah ouais, ah ouais, 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 on était très... On, était, on a donné beaucoup trop de respect. Euh, <rire> puis, euh, tu sais, côté bagarre un contre un, euh, mise en échec, euh, euh, bataille de hockey avec les pucks, et, euh, on était mou à soi. All right. Uh, there in that clip twice, Marty St. Louis said, on était mou à soir. We were soft yeah. tonight. It's a big word to use. Uh, I would imagine hockey players with their ego, they don't like hearing about how soft they were. He said it twice. He went on to say, look, the Bruins were good, but we played very badly. And it's, you know, we lost the battles. We lost the battles along the boards. We lost the one-on-one battles. We lost the fights. The effort wasn't there, not like the Bruins. And, you know, we respected them way too much. The way we gave up our blue line was way too much respect and once again he went back and finished it off by saying that they were soft you hear that mm-hmm. and then today they have practice and for those who are watching supposedly there was a lot of skating and a lot of skating and a lot of skating it looked like a punishment practice i'm sure you're aware of a couple of those pierre <laughs> you've seen more than your share So Marty St. Louis was asked at the end of practice today if he gave a punishment practice with all the skating that they did and all the one-on-one battles in practice that they were working on. This is what he had to say. It's a responsibility. It's not a punishment. We're responsible. All right, there you have it. The media on two occasions are trying to get Marty to say it was a punitive practice today. And Marty said responsibility. It's about responsibilities. You talked about setting organizational standards. I think he's trying to send the message there, is he not? There's no question, but you have to remember one of his go-to coaches and the guy that he won the Stanley Cup with when he was a player in 2004 was John Tortorella. And and so for John, and I think that's probably a point, a reflection point for Marty, he can use a lot of what John used to do with that team in particular when they underachieved in John's opinion. And listen, I, I did a lot of those games back then. Um And I would just say out of respect, John Tortorella coached unbelievably well, but his methods – were even questioned then. And, and I had no problem with it because I had worked for Scotty Bowman and won Stanley Cups. I had worked with Bob Johnson and won Stanley Cups. Responsibility is such a good word that Marty used there, Tony. I have total respect for that. Um, these players are paid to perform. They're paid to go to work every day. 
I got to believe after the Bruins game, they got a mandated uh, Players Association day off on Sunday. So they go to work today, they sweat the poison out from the weekend, and they get on a plane tomorrow and they go to Anaheim. I mean, I don't think it's that tough. There are a lot of people working real hard out in the cold weather, putting up cable lines or working on uh, down uh, energy lines, uh, working working in the public works department. Uh, those are hard jobs. Being a hockey player is not hard. So I wouldn't call that punitive at all. And I love the way he said, no, respect. It's a respect your teammates, respect the organization, respect the fans, respect the process. But I think more than anything else, respect the organization that you represent. And I think probably he made his point today. Probably made his point really well. By saying by saying responsibility and responsible twice, uh, hence the whole respect thing, right? You got to be responsible towards each other. All right, okay. He was asked also today, what went wrong on Saturday night? You know, what was not working for your team? And he said, couldn't get the forecheck going. And he said, we didn't forecheck as a team. We weren't in the right spots. And we did a lot of chasing. So um, my question is, how does this team, based on what you've seen, Pierre, last year and this year, how do they want to play? Like, what's the identity of this team? Are they are they a, a an aggressive forechecking team? Are they a puck possession team? I know they're not a defensive team, Pierre. What kind of team are they? They're caught in between right now. I think they're trying to establish an aggressive forecheck presence. I think they're a team that's trying to create a counterattack team with a lot of speed. Uh, I think they're trying to score off the rush as much as they can because they do have smaller players. It's hard to manufacture chances off the cycle. Uh, when you have a smaller team, uh, the, like I said before, Tony, just coming out of the start of our segment without Kirby doc, that sets you back a lot in terms of size. And I think, you know, that, um, they're a team that tries to draw a lot of penalties and want to get on the power play. Um, so I, I think they're trying still to establish their identity, but I would say the number one calling card for this team should be about speed and counterattack. And I think they're just trying to figure that out. And until they figure it out hundred percent. You're going to have these types of situations like you had Saturday night. One other thing, Tony, really important. I know we're talking about the Canadians. The Bruins are a really hard team to forecheck. Part of it's Charlie McAvoy. Part of it's the way they hold up for their defense partners in a legal way, not illegal. Hompus Lindholm was very hard to forecheck. I mean, the, the problem is whether you put the puck on the left side in there for, when you're forechecking them or your right side when you're forechecking them. They got guys on both sides that can break your forecheck either by skating the puck or moving the puck. So I don't know if the Bruins are a great test for what type of team the Canadians are right now. Pierre, I'm never going to complain of watching a team that wants to play offensive hockey, whether they win or lose. I mean, even Thursday night, that 6-5 game, I mean, that was, you know, that was awesome to watch, even though it was probably a coach's nightmare. But some members of the media now are starting to question, you know, the amount of work that this team does from a defensive standpoint, defensive structure, defensive system, defensive concepts. On one or two occasions, Marty St. Louis said something to the effect of, to be honest, we don't spend a lot of time or haven't spent a lot of time on defensive concepts yet because it almost seems like they're trying to master offensive concepts because they might not be there yet, 
Mm-hmm. But when they will get there and they're going to be as competitive as they want to be, they want to be a team that is going to possess the puck. They want to be a team that is going to push the pace. They want to be a team that's going to play an offensive brand of hockey. You talked about John Tortorella's Tampa Bay Lightning. They were the aggressor when they were winning Stanley Cups. They were going after teams. They were playing offensive hockey. Should they be spending more time on defensive concepts to maybe help them pick up points in the standings or seeing as on paper, we don't think they're good enough just yet. Should they just stay the course and and continue playing the kind of offensive or trying to play the kind of offensive hockey that they're trying to play? John Tortorella's mantra when he was in Tampa is safe is death. So they were all out all the time, hard on you, Tony. And you know what? They had a goaltender, Nikolai Habibulin, that allowed them to play that way. And, again, when you watch Vinny LeCavier or Marty St. Louis, Dave Andrzejczyk, you watch the players, Timmy Taylor, watch the players that played on that Tampa team in 04 when they won the Cup. You could see exactly what John's mantra was looking like because safe was death for them. They attacked, and they forced you to play defense rather than offense. I think eventually the Canadians will be like that. Um, but until you get there – I still think you need to manufacture how to play in your own zone. I think it's really fundamentally important. And it may not pay off right away this year, but down the road, those little learning lessons help you in tight games. When you have a one-goal lead on the road and you're playing in Madison Square Garden in a game six of a playoff series and you need to shut the other team down in the last minute and a half, you still need to know how to play in your own zone. Uh, When you're playing on home ice against the Boston Bruins in the Eastern Conference Final – and they're throwing four lines at you with their depth, and all of a sudden you're running out of gas and guys have to dig deep, you better know how to play defense in your own zone. So I think even though they might not be practicing it enough, it may be fruitful for them to start doing that so that they have some form of uh, ability to look back and say, yeah, remember that. We used to do that a lot in practice. Pierre, uh, the Canadians have a lot of competency, of course, within their coaching staff. I'm not going to question anyone who plays or coaches and works in the entire National Hockey League because it's the best league in the world and uh, some of the best are there. Having said that, a lot of organizations usually have a very experienced assistant to insulate and help out a lesser experienced coach. With all due respect to Alex Burroughs and Trevor Litowski, the Canadians don't have that Barry Smith, don't have that Dave King to an Alain Vigneault. Is it important to bring one in now to to kind of um, get things started on what they want him to be over the next couple of years? Or because it's a young team in a rebuild, it can stay a young staff in a rebuild as, as well? That's, that's a fair question. And I would say at this point, I wouldn't be messing with the staff, but I'd say where this could come into play is at the end of the season, you usually, and I would imagine the Canadians knowing the people that are running it, and Jeff Gorton and, and Kent Hughes, you have an organizational debrief. What did we do right? What did we do wrong? And how do we make our team better going forward? I think one of the things that's happening, and you talked about Barry Smith, who I coached with. Uh, I watched Dave King coach for Alain Vigneault. I think that's a really responsible point. The Canadians made the playoffs that one year that Dave was here, the first year Alain was here. Uh, in Montreal, and a big reason why is because of the defensive systems that Dave King helped them implement. 
And you know that because you were watching all the games. I know you know that. Um, but he I would put, say he put, Zarley's, more, he put Zarley Zalapski as a winger, right? He was trying yeah, the uh, either yeah. either left wing lock or the two front three back or whichever way you want to call it, right? Barry did the same thing in Detroit, correct? Yeah. And so I think this is more of a question for after this season, Tony. I don't think it's something that would really bear fruit this year. It makes sense, Perrin. By the way, the assistant coaches, their contracts are up at the end of the season. So obviously there's going to be an evaluation there. All right. Uri Slavkovsky. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone's topic of conversation in Montreal when they want to talk about one player. Everyone has an opinion. We heard yours, Pierre, when the Montreal Canadiens made him the first pick overall in the 2022 draft. I know you liked the pick back then, and I know that he was uh, extremely hot for a good period of four or five months between the Olympics and the World Championships. Mm-hmm. But now everyone has an opinion as to whether or not the Montreal Canadiens have taken the best development decisions and development pathway with them. Chances are we're not going to know the answer to that at least another five or six years down the line. Craig Button joined me a couple of weeks ago and he's joined me a couple of times. Now he's a regular collaborator on Wednesdays. He doesn't agree with the development pathway for Slavkowski and said that in his world, Slavkowski last year would have done an extra year in Finland and he would have sent them to play in the World Juniors. I want to have your thoughts on the Canadians' insistence on keeping Slavkowski here and whether or not you agree with it. Well, the one thing you need to know is when he was playing in Finland, and, and I was there scouting him, so I saw him a lot, Tony. Um, he was playing in a third-line role on a team where the coach really didn't give him a lot of time, and that's why his numbers were not nearly as proficient as a lot of people wanted to see. So I think that's something that probably went into the Canadians' thought process of not sending him back to Finland. That's number one. Number two, he was way too advanced to play major junior hockey, um, so that would not have worked. Uh, going to the world junior, I think, is something that should have been thought of um, because I can tell you, having done so many of those tournaments over the course of my career and scouted that tournament uh, since 1989, um, that that is an amazing developmental tool. Um he also is a player that needed to get familiar to playing on small ice and utilizing his big body. Um, not every player that comes out of Europe that's a bigger body like Yarmir Yager or Slavkovsky, not every player is going to be like Yarmir Yager. Um, he's just, he was a unique player that was drafted fifth overall in 1990. He should have gone first overall, wasn't even close, but they were afraid they couldn't get him out back then. All the teams that picked ahead of us in Pittsburgh, and I was there then, uh, Vancouver wasn't sure they could get him out. They took Peter Nedved. Quebec wasn't sure they could get him out. They took Owen Nolan. Detroit wasn't sure they can get him out. They took uh, Keith Primo. Philadelphia wasn't sure they can get him out. They took Mike Ricci, who they thought would be the next Bob Clark. Development with young players takes time. You know, Tony, people forget this, and this is for the younger people that are listening and watching you right now. Guy Lafleur wasn't an 18-year-old when he was drafted by the Montreal Canadiens. It was a 20-year-old draft. You know, these kids are being drafted at 18. Not everybody's going to make that adjustment. Look at Lafreniere. Tony, I would say what you should do with one of your shows is illustrate to your uh, viewers and listeners how many negative columns were written about Lafreniere in New York before this season started and how during the exhibition season people were saying he's going to be a first-round flop. And then go show the people what is being written about him now after two months of the season, he's great. He's the best. He's this, he's that. He's 23 years old. 
You know, he's 22, 23 years old. He's yeah. mature now. He's an older player. It yeah. takes time. Uh, I, I still think Montreal did the right thing. You know, you can argue about Logan Cooley. 100% I can see. But here's the thing I throw at Montreal Canadiens fans and say, what about Logan Cooley? Is that really what the team needs, another small player? Is that what they need? I'm a huge Logan Cooley fan. He used to hang out at Ray Shiro's house all the time, Logan Cooley, when Ray was living in Pittsburgh. I watched him play a ton at the University of Minnesota, a ton. Um, he's an exhilarating, unbelievable offensive catalyst. But is that exactly what Montreal – Montreal needed size. Montreal needs somebody that can grind. Montreal needs somebody that can score from two feet or from ten feet. And it can't be Brendan Gallagher. You know that, and I know that. Brendan's older and he's smaller. they got to get bigger guys. And I think Slavkowski eventually – will be the right guy. But what Craig Button's point was, I totally agree about the World Junior. Completely agree on that. So let me just play devil's advocate for a second. It's easy for me to say right now, by the way, and full disclosure, I didn't know a lot of these kids or watch a lot of these kids, so I'm not going to pretend that I did, mm -hmm. okay? But today, my eyes see what they see, and in Logan Cooley, I see a special talent. And if I think he's better than Yuri Slavkowski, you're going to be better. By the way, for those watching, that doesn't mean I don't think Yuri Slavkowski is any good, okay? There's yeah. a difference in the two. But let me play devil's advocate. If I take a look at or listen carefully to what you just said, some can interpret it by the Canadians drafted by need over drafting the best player available. And of course, they thought that Slavkovsky was going to be good. I'm not saying they drafted Slavkovsky just mm -hmm. because he's big and he couldn't play. So if I'm going to play devil's advocate, I would say, okay, they don't need Logan Cooley because Pierre Maguire's right. They're small. Nick Suzuki, Cole Caulfield, Alex Newhook, Brendan Gallagher, Raphael Arvey-Pinard. The list goes on and on. You don't need another small player. But if he, if you think he's going to be very good, don't you draft them and then end up moving out another small player? But maybe you thought that Slavkowski, who was the MVP of the Olympics as a 17-year-old, is going to be just as good or better, and he's a big guy. Got and, it. And so, again, I know it wasn't a normal Olympics, and we probably will never have a best-on-best best at the Olympics ever again just because the NHL and the Board of Governors don't have an appetite for it, which I completely understand, by the way. I, you know, I've done eight Olympics, Tony, between summer and winter, it's one of the most amazing experiences you can ever have. But I understand where the NHL is coming from because they get no respect uh, from the people that run the Olympic Games in terms of shutting down the NHL season and compensation and tickets and everything else and insurance costs. It's just it's a crazy thing. But anyways, all that being said, this is a player that at a very young age is a very large person. And usually, not always, but usually it takes them a little bit longer to develop and be the power forward that everybody wants to be. Just remember this one thing, Tony. There's a guy by the name of Joe Thornton. He got traded out of Boston. Yeah. And he got traded out of Boston for three guys that were all good players and honorable players. Uh, Brad Stewart, a kid that played for the Calgary Hitmen, uh, Keith Primo's brother, Wayne Primo, and Marco Sturm. Yeah. You think Mike O'Connell, the GM at the time in Boston, wants a mulligan on that? Big time. I was yeah. I was there. Game seven, Montreal Canadiens, Boston Bruins on the day that Kevin Paul DuPont of the Boston Globe wrote that article questioning uh, the leadership from Thornton, the C on his jersey. And uh, he was out of there like that offseason, I think, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Right. Yeah. yeah. All right uh, so that's all I'm saying. Yeah. You got to be really careful with bigger players 
when you say, oh, he can't play, get him out of here. It takes a while. It takes a little bit longer than smaller fluid guys. In all your years of hockey, mm-hmm. did you ever go into a season with a three-goalie system? Uh, we did in uh, Pittsburgh in 92. Uh, eventually, Frank Petrangelo. It's Peter Angelo, but now I know because his cousin is Petrangelo. So anyways, Frank Peter Angelo, we traded him to Hartford. Uh, we brought in Kenny Reagan and kept Wendell Young. Uh, Wendell was an extra guy for us, uh, so that was one year. And then the next uh, two years later in Hartford, uh, because of injuries to Sean Burke's back, we had three at the time uh, with Mario Gosselin, uh, Frank Peterangelo, Sean Burke, and actually a fourth um, who didn't play a lot. Um, but, no, it's, it's a hard thing to do. The three goalie system is really hard to do, Tony. And um, I think at some point this is a chip in the game the Canadians have to play, whether it's Jake Allen, uh, whether it's Caden Primo, um, whether it's Sam Montembeau. Uh, I can tell you one thing. The goalie of the future for the Montreal Canadiens is a young kid by the name of Fowler. He plays at Boston College. And he is wh- whomever the scout is that drafted him for the Montreal Canadiens. And I'm sure Kent will get all the credit for it. And, and Jeff will get all the credit because they're the guys making the decision. Whomever that scout is did a heck of a job because that kid is the real deal. He's a really, really special goalie. I'm happy you're talking about him. I know you've gone to see him several times and you got great intel on him. But some are watching right now saying, I heard the same thing about Caden Primo. That program, you know what, low-scoring games or they insulate the goalies pretty good or, you know, the numbers might be a little bit inflated. What have you seen from Fowler to tell us It's just calm, cool, and collected. you got to remember Boston College is a really young team. It's made up of a lot of NHL draft picks. Usually not all, they have 14 of them. Usually not always you don't win with younger players in college hockey. It's an older guy's game. Um, for Boston College, they're winning a lot. They're number two in the country right now. North Dakota's number one. Quinnipiac's number three. Um, and if you look at Boston College, one of the things that's allowed them to be number two is how calm, cool, and collected uh, Jacob Fowler's been in goal for Boston College. So, again, yeah. he's not ready for prime time. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. He's the goalie of the future for the Montreal Canadiens, and they deserve a whole lot of credit for drafting him where they draft him. He's really a talented kid. And I I know Primo was drafted at Northeastern, by the way, if anyone's wondering, but they said the same thing about Primo a couple of years ago. You brought up Boston College, so you've watched a couple of games. You're getting some pretty good intel, I would imagine. You know I'm going to talk to you about next, but talk to me about Lane Hudson. Well, he's at BU, so he's at the rival school, and uh, yeah, I would I would tell you this about Lane. I've I've been a big fan. I I know some people question his size, um, and yeah, it's got to be a little bit of a concern. But here's the thing: his brain works like Adam Fox's, and I watched Adam Fox a ton wow. um, at Harvard, a, a ton because they were recruiting my son. So I went to go watch Harvard play a lot, and and what I would tell you is um, Adam wasn't the biggest guy either, and still isn't the biggest guy. But he's a Norris Trophy winning defenseman. I think to start off, if, if Lane can add 10 to 15 pounds of muscle, um, he's going to be a really special player for the Montreal Canadiens for a long time. And he will put up huge amounts of points. His brain thinks the game unbelievably well on an offensive uh, side of things. So uh, I think he's a great player and with a brilliant future for Montreal. So you're watching a lot of college hockey. You're hanging out in Massachusetts every now and then, even though, by the way, I think you're in Tromblot tonight, are you not? I am. I'll be here right. for a while now, yeah, I am. That's good to know. So y- you watch BC, you watch BU. I ask you about Lane Hudson. I'm going to ask you about Celebrini now. Yeah. Um, 
I, I think he's the number one pick on most lists right now. Uh, Cole Iserman is getting uh, a lot of real good print as well. There's a defenseman in the KHL, I think is something like six foot seven. And, uh, and uh, a lot of people are raving about him. What can you tell me about Celebrini? Macklin Celebrini's not overly large, but his brain is insane. A lot like Lane Hudson, the way he processes a game. He is more of a playmaker, Tony, than a pure finisher. Uh, Iserman, the young player you brought up, is a Massachusetts kid who is a pure finisher. He's more of a goal scorer than uh, Celebrini is. But Celebrini can lift you out of your seats with his acceleration with the puck, uh, his playmaking skills. And he can finish, don't get me wrong, but his real thing is peripheral vision and making the players around him better. He, he's an amazing, amazing talent. And once again, he gets a little bit stronger and a little bit bigger. Um, his upside is monumental. It's gigantic. And he's thriving I'm not going to, it's too early to tell whether he's going to win a Hobie Baker as a freshman. There are very few players that have been able to do that. Jack, Jack Eichel and uh, Paul Correa are two. Uh, Adam Fantilli last year is another one that did it, uh, who's playing in the NHL right now. But there's not a lot of guys that have been able to do that. Celebrini will be in that conversation, Tony. He really will yeah. be. Based on the stats, Pierre, he's on pace to score more goals than Cole Caulfield did pretty much at the same at the same level. But, uh, you know, I'm talking to you about those players, Pierre, because I'm going to follow it up with what the Canadians are trying to accomplish here and being a very competitive team three, four years down the road, maybe win a Stanley Cup in year five or year six, and that's every team's goal. I mean, that's that's the plan that they have. They're in a rebuild, and at one point they want to be able to go for it, and they want to be sustainable as long as they can. Based on the players that they have right now, and the players that they have, some of the prospects do they have. And you can always use an extra one. I get that. The million Is it enough, Pierre? Because I, I always think maybe you need one or two more, but is it enough? If you got Celebrini or Iserman, yeah, yeah. we're going in the right direction. What Again, I'm going to stick up for this management group. Um, I, I Caden Gooley, to me, is going to be a really good player in this league for a really long time. So... He's one of those guys you can build around on defense. Um, I think Kovacevic is another one of those guys you can keep. If he's playing in the 5-6 hole, eventually when your team's really good, um, that's, a, that's a useful player. doesn't make a lot of noise, just gets the job done night in and night out. Reliable guys in defense, uh, and I think the Canes – Lane Hudson's going to be part of that defense long term, an elite puck-moving defenseman. So you look at it. Uh, I think there's a lot of components in place for Montreal that are really positive for them. The one thing that I would say that people need to pay attention to, especially in the division, um, the Atlantic division's tough. So if you look at the prospect pool of Buffalo or you look at the prospect pool of Ottawa, you look at the prospect pool of Detroit, right now those three probably have a bit of an edge on Montreal, but not a significant amount of edge. Um, but where they are in their development, I think all three teams are a little bit more advanced than Montreal is right now. And then, you, again, you have to look at Florida, you have to look at Tampa, you have to look at Toronto, you have to look at Boston. Um, that division is is just crazy tough. It's crazy tough. So that's the only thing. The caveat for me with Montreal and their young players is they're surrounded by teams, Buffalo especially, uh, Ottawa and Detroit that are not going away anytime soon. They just keep getting better and better all the time. The question keeps on coming up in Montreal. It's a difficult one, and I'll probably put you in the spot here, but uh, you're a big boy, and I know you can take it. Mm -hmm. If in four or five years from now the Canadians want to be a contender and Nick Suzuki is your number one centerman and Cole Caulfield's one of your first-line wingers, 
can they be that contender with those guys or do you have some doubts in regards to their size and or ceiling no i think they can absolutely cole will be you have to remember now his release is elite now it will just continue to evolve for the next five to seven years it's not going to get worse it's going to get better unless he sustains a major injury and you can't legislate against injury i mean everybody wants to but you just can't i think nick will continue to get stronger uh, i think we'll get a little bit more quick which will help him uh, long term over the next five to seven years uh, so I think absolutely, if those guys are part of it, you can be very, very successful. Um, you know, you look at the template of teams that have won mm -hmm. uh, over since since the salary cap, Tony, and you start looking at it. And I know you're familiar with the thing that I talked to you about, the seven-player profile, and Nick would definitely count as one of the seven players in a profile. So would Cole. Uh, Cole would be your specialist forward. Nick would be one of your top two centers. That would fit the profile on any team that has a chance to win. Kirby Doc uh, can fit into that profile as well. So, I mean, Caden Gooley definitely fits into that. So, you know, they're getting to where they need to be, and I think that's really positive for Montreal. Pierre, I could sense that the Canadians' lack of size at the forward position concerns you a little bit. Yep. So at what point is – are you too small? Well, you, Would you? you'll never know that till you play in a playoff series. So I'll give you an example. Mm -hmm. um, you go into – for Toronto, under the previous regime, you know, obviously Kyle Dubas is in Pittsburgh now, but he won one series in six years, Tony. And they what was the biggest problem for them? Their depth forwards weren't robust enough. They weren't tough enough. They didn't have enough grit factor to them. So that was an issue for them. Um they tried to address that, and I think they did in their last year, last year anyways, when they beat Tampa. But what's interesting about that is they were playing a Tampa team that had been to the final three years in a row, and one of those years was a COVID year, which was – I was in Edmonton for two and a half months, trust me. I've been through a lot in this over 34 years. I never saw anything like that uh, being in the bubble, and I have so much respect for all the players and officials that worked in those COVID bubbles. It, it was really difficult. Um but I, you know, again, so is there a little bit of a taint on Toronto and what they did? It's an example for anybody out there. You really can't judge your team till you see them in the playoffs. And I think that's going to be an important thing for Montreal as they go forward with their rebuild. Um, okay. So I, I asked you if the Canadians are too small. So do they, and I think you answered that. I was going to ask, do they have enough talent going forward? But it, it sounds like when you're talking about Silabrini or Iserman, for you, if the Canadians finish bottom five and end up drafting, you know, a top five player in the draft, you know, it it's 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 going to be bad news but good news. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, it'll be real good news. Um, yeah. Th both those young men are tremendous talents. I mean, they're really good talents. Yet you didn't bring up one player from BU, and I'm I thought he was going to be the steal of the draft. I worked with the kid a long time ago. His name's Luke Tuck. He was a second round pick yeah. from Montreal in the 2020 draft. Yeah. He's big. He's having a really good year this year at Boston University. He's way young uh, for his age in terms of where he is as a student um, because he went in really young. Uh, and he played on some marginal teams at BU before Jay Pandolfo really started to straighten this thing out. Now BU, you know, they're fifth in the United States in the latest poll uh, of the Division One teams. I think he's a player that can really help Montreal down the road too, not as a top six forward, 
but a big guy that can really cause problems in a playoff series. It's funny you're saying that because I saw him this summer at Habs development camp in Broussard. He stood out because he played with some gem. Yeah. Like he was going going to the net. Yeah. I coached that kid um, when he was 13 and 14 in summer uh, tournaments. Uh, He and my son played together and I I can tell you they were not a lot of fun to play against. And I've been a, very uh, big fan of his for a long time because he's coachable, he's fearless, uh, he's really big. He comes by it naturally. He'll just continue to get stronger and bigger. And for a bigger person, he can really move. He moves very, very well. Pierre, this has been a treat. Before I let you go, you're talking about all these young players. I want to ask you about your son. How's Ryan doing? Oh, he's doing great. Yeah. Um, I'm not comfortable talking about him. He says, just let me play, Dad. And I, so that's kind of what we do. Uh, in the summer, I will tell you that uh, – we have a really good group of kids that I train in Boston, uh, usually 14 or 15 kids every summer. Uh, it's my way of giving back to the sport. Uh, Ryan's part of our group. Uh, we've had a lot of players that have been drafted. We've had a lot of guys that have played in the American Hockey League. We've had some that have been NHL call-ups, uh, some that are playing regularly on NHL teams right now. So it's an amazingly competitive thing. Um, the only thing I ask them to do is be on time. So we start on the ice every day at 7 o'clock in the morning. Um, and we're done by 11 o'clock because we go to the gym right after or it's 11, Whoa. 11, 15. So it's a, it's a fun, hard working morning, but uh, I enjoy it. And Ryan's doing very well. Thank you for asking. Um, I love NCAA because you get to work on your body as well as working on your game, right? You get kind of like the best of both worlds because you don't have compared to junior hockey in, in Quebec or Ontario. And with all due respect to those leagues, by the way, because they have their value as well. Oh yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of long bus rides when you're playing in those leagues. There's a lot of games. There could be a lot of fatigue, but NCAA gives you maybe half the games, but a chance to work on your body as well. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes, 100%. Yeah. Um, by the way, just again, just to be transparent, my son was drafted by Blainville Boisbriand. I yeah. let him go to training camp uh, for the amount of time that the NCAA lets you go. My son, if, if he could have made the decision, he would have stayed and played there. So um, uh, I would not allow that at that time because he was only 16 years of age and I want him to experience an education uh, in, at, at the United States University. All that being said, there's a lot of value to the the Quebec major junior league or the Ontario hockey league or the Western hockey league. Um, And I'm a big fan of those leagues. I scouted all those leagues for a lot of years. And uh, just again, just for parents out there, uh, my son left a really good prep school before he graduated from there to go play junior hockey in Penticton, British Columbia. Uh, The development programs in Canada are still extremely good. They're very, very good. And uh, I respect them very much. Fantastic stuff, Pierre. He is Pierre McGuire, and he, along with Jimmy Murphy, bring you the sick podcast eye test. And if you have a chance, there you go. That's what it looks like. And I'm sure Agnello and Sammy will drop the YouTube link before this show is up so you guys can all go and follow and check them out on Twitter as well. You'll be able to find them. I'll give you the link, and I'll put it up a little bit later as well. Pierre, thanks so much for this beautiful time that you gave me tonight. I feel kind of guilty because I would imagine Melanie is waiting to get her husband back to have one more cup of coffee before you guys go to bed tonight. And here I am. I kept you on for over 45 minutes talking hockey on a Monday night.
No, it's actually I got to go down and watch the Western games right now, Tony. So oh. that's where I'm gonna go down and watch the games. Never Tony, I got to tell you, it's great to be part yeah. of the same team as you. And congratulations you. again on all your success. I'm so proud of you. Way to go! Thank you, thank you, Perry. Very much appreciate that. Thank you, and all the best to you and Jimmy Murphy. Uh, I know that everyone watching tonight is going to end up subscribing, and that's the plan. Thank you, Pierre. We'll talk Thanks to you soon, my friend. Take care. Have a great right. night, everybody. You too. There you have it, Pierre Maguire. Anytime you can get Pierre Maguire for what over 50 minutes over 50 and folks by the way this is the beauty of podcasting you don't have to break to go to commercial after 14 or 17 minutes you can go 20 25 30 35 40 45 50 55 an hour we could have gone three hours if you want to and you don't have to break for commercial i will take a minute to tell you that I want to thank Energy Transportation Group, a leading full-service logistics provider serving all of North America, driven to be different, to be a proud partner of the SICK Podcast with me, Marinero. Playground, over 600 machines, poker tournaments, and playground casino games, daily promotions, and unmatched customer service. Why go anywhere else? Located just over the Mercier Bridge, only minutes from downtown Montreal Playground. And these guys here, brewed in Quebec and a winner of a dozen international awards, La Bitta TV offers quality microbrewery beers made with premium ingredients for everyone's taste. La Bitta TV, embrace your true nature. That's it for us. I will tell you, of course, that we will be back tomorrow night, same time, same place. And one person who will be joining us tomorrow is going to be Mike Johnson, former Montreal Canadian, now, of course, with TSN. He'll be joining me tomorrow night on the SICK podcast. So you look forward to we look forward to that. On Wednesday night, the Canadians are in Anaheim. It is a 10 p.m. start. We will not go live at 10 p.m. because the Canadians are, of course, playing the Anaheim Ducks. I might come up with something a little bit earlier on. Maybe yes, maybe no. I probably shouldn't even have said anything. I have an idea and I have a plan and I just have to put it in motion here. But one thing's for sure. We'll be back tomorrow night, same time, same place. The Sick Podcast weeknights at 10 p.m. For Agnello, Sammy, and Juliana at Master Control, they are Cavallaro. I want to thank Pierre Maguire very much. What a treat. What a pleasure. What an honor. I'm Marinero. Follow the Sick Podcast with me, of course, Marinero. Like it, share it with your friends. Comment Sick, S-I-C-K, S-I-C-K. Leave us a five-star review on Apple if you can. It's our way of feeling the love. I can tell you that I very much appreciate it. And once again, once again, there are a couple of weeks in, Jimmy Murphy and Pierre Maguire, the Sick Podcast I test. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Follow them on Twitter. Give them a follow. Give them a watch and give them a listen. They are talking everything hockey, National Hockey League, American Hockey League, college hockey, KHL, juniors, prospects, everything women's hockey as well they're the hockey podcast on the sick media network have a great night everyone we'll talk to you again tomorrow same time same place and that's a wrap hope you don't miss us too much until next time follow the sick podcast with tony marinero on youtube instagram facebook google play and apple podcasts the sick podcast is brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La Vida TV. Embrace your true nature. And Playground, your premier gaming destination.